0: In 2010, Vange and I had the opportunity to attend a conference in Turkey and we also stopped to see my sister in Germany who lives there and we had an overnight stay as part of that in Basel, Switzerland and uh, I had had never been to Basel before so it was a new city to me and I thought I got up in the morning and thought I'm going to go for a quick little walk before we had to catch the train and so I, I got up and wandered down the streets to see the sites, the cathedrals, the churches, the stores, and so on. I wanted to pick up some breakfast for us as well, so I was kind of wandering around looking for things. And I uh, wandered into a mall, a big kind of mall, uh, multi-story mall, wandered around there for a few minutes. And I noticed that, I glanced at my watch and I thought, man, I better get back because we don't want to miss the train. And so I exited the door, the, ent- the exit where I thought I'd come in. And I started going the direction I thought our hotel was at, and I'm going, none of this looks familiar. And I thought, oh, this is not good because if I'm not back on time, we're gonna miss our our, our train, our connections. The sky was cloudy, so I couldn't look to see which way this, the, where the sun was, and get my directions north, south, east, west, because I knew kind of where I was had headed from. We'd kind of gone east from our hotel, and so I thought, well, if I can find the sun, but couldn't find that. But then all of a sudden it hit me that in my backpack I I had a a GPS. It dates us, right? GPS. So I pulled it out, turned it on, and sure enough, it kind of reorientated me to where I was on the earth, which direction was north, south, east, west, realizing I was going south when I should have been going west. And so got myself back on track. And uh, good thing that I didn't trust my instinct because it would have been wrong. Back in nineteen eighty-three, I'm gonna tell you another story. In nineteen eighty-three, I and a group of people, and I think I may have shared the part of this before, but a group of us that were heading to the Philippines to do ministry, one of our team members decided to um, knew of some Filipinos in the city of Regina. And so they said they 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 said, Hey, we wanna they called them up and kind of invited ourselves over so that we could they could kind of introduce us to the food, the culture. And, and the customs and so on and so we loaded into a car headed out the door over to this this house and we got just a couple minutes away from the college and right away the guy that was setting this all up he goes oh I forgot the address so in this is again 1983 so you stopped at a local phone booth because in those days there were phone booths and they had phone books in them with names and phone numbers and addresses real privacy thing in those days but sure enough there was the name got the address, loaded back in the car, we went to this house, knocked on the door, and um, a gentleman opened the door, he was wearing a turban, and we all kind of thought, well, that's kind of different, and uh, so we went in, he, he he backed up and welcomed us in, there were seven of us, he took our coats, hung our coats up in the in the closet, and then we all went into the living room, and the guy that was kind of leading, our leader, kind of said, to, he started doing introductions, and he introduced our host, the, the the, the gentleman of the home, and he said, this is so-and-so, and the guy goes, um, sorry, that, that's not my name, and uh, well, he, our leader's a bit of a jokester, and he thought, oh, this guy's just playing a joke, so he kind of laughed it off, and started then to introduce everyone else around the circle, and as we were going around, all of a sudden, the rest of us in the room could sense that this guy was serious, that that was not his name, and we found out that the house number was right, but we had missed it by 8 to 10 months. Because they had sold the house, moved across the city, the new owner was in the house, and that was really his name, but the people we were looking for was on the other side of Regina. Awkward, to say the least. Incredibly gracious gentleman. <laughs> I have to give hats off to him, because he would have was far more gracious than I would have been. Third story. Um, I traded, uh, when shortly after we were married, I had a, uh, I had a car, we both had cars, and uh, you know, being a young guy, I wanted to get a truck, so I traded my car and some cash for a half ton truck, only to find out that the half ton truck barely ran, and so not only did I lose a perfectly good working car and cash, but I ended up with a pile of junk that I only could sell for a couple hundred bucks to an auto wrecker. Now you're saying, what do those stories have in common, right? They all have the same thing. The idea is the starting point was flawed in each of the stories. There was something that was amiss. Whether it was in Basel, whether it was visiting the Filipino home or supposed home, or whether it was buying uh, uh, an F 150 truck, each of those situations started out to be flawed. And Paul knew that the Ephesians church, in order to get started, they had to start out on the right foundation. They need to have the right understanding to start with, otherwise they would end off somewhere in the weeds, somewhere they didn't want to be, somewhere that wasn't what they were expecting to be, with an end result that was far less than what they'd hoped for. So if you turn with me to the book of Ephesians chapter 2, we're going to look at the first 10 verses, but we're going to start off with just reading verses 1 and 2. One, 1 to 3 of Ephesians 2. And Paul says this. He says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. And like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. Notice the the verb tense that Paul uses in that passage. That's very important. It's past tense. He says you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you used to follow all the ways of this world. All of us, all of us, he says, including me, used to live like that. We were disobedient. Paul uses the past tense, and that's incredibly important because Paul wants them to realize that that was literally the past. The Ephesian church was once dead and lived a different way. That was history. Now things are far different significantly different it was like I used to own an F-150 half-ton and I'm glad I don't anymore At least that one anyways that was a long time ago that was in the past in ancient history but now things are different and that's where Paul gets into the next verse into verses 4 to 10 where he outlines what now has taken place again look at the verb tense as we read this passage but because of this His great love for us, God who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming age He might show the incomparable riches of His grace expressed in His kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. Again, the verb tense there is mostly past or even a couple times he talks about current reality based on past circumstances. He says we have been made, God, that God has made us alive, past tense. Or, or present tense, I guess. He, we are alive currently. But then he goes on to say, you have been saved, past tense. That happened. You've been raised, past tense. It's not something we're looking forward to. It's already happened in us. And he even says this we are already seated where? In the heavenly realms. Past tense. This time is because the current reality has been changed by, a, by something that happened in the past that has forever changed our, our current reality and not what we're living in it currently. Things changed. God loved us. He loved us so much that He made us alive. Even when our sins were incredibly real and tangible, He still made a way, he still made a way for us, and He made us alive in a new way. God raised them up. And now, he says, the Ephesian church, they are now alive, whereas before they used to be dead. Not only that, but he's put them in the heavenly realm. I mean, that's just, that's kind of mind-blowing. Because how can they be in earthly bodies, but also already engaged in, in a heavenly realm? But that's the whole way that God works in kingdom purposes God's kingdom is here. It is now. It is tangible. It's in this place. And so when he says that we're already connected with heaven, that's what it means. It's as good as connected. Even though we're still bound by time and space, there is somehow we're, we're, we've, we've, been, we've been placed, we've transcended this place, and God has already sees us, connected us with the heavenly realm. That's just, it's, it seems impossible. But Paul says, for the Ephesian church, that's already happened. Now, he, 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 that passage ends up by saying all of this is a result not of their own effort, their own design, but a, as a result of God's handiwork. God's, the fact that God's created them in a new way, which led them to become the most amazing people that the, the, the people in Ephesus had ever seen. There was something changed, radically changed in their life. God wanted them to know that this new life in Jesus is not a result of some help cla- self-help class they t- had taken or because of a counselor's ability to help guide them through something. Though that, Both of those are good things to do and, and, and ha- add value to a person's life. But this is a result of God internally changing at the very foundational piece of their life we're talking dna change that's the kind of foundational level that god is talking about here he knew how their enemy of their soul had worked and how they had been deceived and how they'd been turned around and twisted around like i had been in switzerland and didn't know left from right and up and down the enemy knows how to do that in our lives in so many people's lives and he does that actively because when we don't know who we are and what god has done for us we're, we're literally lost. Even though we think we know where we were. Like I thought I knew where I was. But we can't. We have to see. And some people go, well, you know, I don't know if Satan is really real or not. Prove to me that he's real. Well, I mean, all of us in this room believe the air exists because we, we're breathing it every day. And yet we, we don't see it. I mean, we can see dust particles in the air, but we're not actually seeing air. We can feel air when the fans get turned on or the wind blows. But the same goes with the enemy. The enemy is around us. He's here. And it's not that we need to be afraid of him because greater is God that is in us than he that is in the world, but we have to recognize that he is at work in our world. And yet so many people are blind to the reality, not only of the enemy's input into their life, but also to the current state in which they now live. The current state of their lostness and that they're wandering aimlessly, even though they think they know where they're going. Now, many of you may be like me. You were raised in a, in a Christian church. You were raised with Christian parents, God-loving parents. And, and I mean, to be honest, I wasn't rebellious. Uh, yeah, little things here and then. I, I probably didn't clean my room as often. I talked back to my parents. You know, I pushed. Always was pushing the limits a little bit. You know, not. You know, never really going all into sin, but always just kind of pushing the limits. That's how I was. I mean, I wasn't a drug dealer. I, you know, I wasn't a guy who slept around. I, to be honest, I don't think I even really hardly swore. I was a pretty. I wasn't one of the bad guys, who. You know, I. I'd expect, who had experienced a lot of life apart from God. My life was pretty insulated, pretty straight. I didn't, I didn't want to get in those things. So when I had to confess my sins to Jesus, it seemed pretty simple. But I wondered sometimes, especially as I got older in my life, if I really realized how broken and far from God I really was and how bad I really was. After all, I kind of grew into my faith. And so the, the, the changes that God brought into my life were just kind of a little bit of a course correction, more than they were out 180-degree turns. There were a few of those, but not very many. Yet as I, got, as I grew, I, as, as I got older, I began to realize that one of the things, the most amazing things in my life that I had to give credit for God from, or give God, give, um, God credit for, Was the fact that what God saved me from. For I had not followed. If I had not followed Jesus. My life. um, I'm not sure I'd be here today. Well I know I wouldn't be standing here. But I'm not sure I'd be living today. Because when I kind of get involved in something. I tend to jump in all the way. And I can be pretty aggressive in my commitment to something and so I think if God had not stopped me I would have gone and probably been one of those guys that you read about in the news and probably done some despicable things and so as I think about that even though God does not the biggest change is what God has saved me from doing not what he has saved me from Does that make sense And I think sometimes we need to stop and we need to think back at that and look at that. Because sometimes when we grow up in the faith, in a relationship with Jesus, where we we never really rebelled against God. We still need God and God and we need God to save us because He is saving us from a life that could have easily been like the worst person in the world. God's grace is amazing when I think of my life from that perspective. Of what God has saved me from doing from being a part of. But so, so often we just cruise along with no clue where we're going. You know, sometimes we just kind of accept that God is there because we've kind of grown up with His presence and we just kind of go along. And we need to realize that God does want us to, to make that those, even those minuscule changes in our life because He wants us not only to be, you know, pretty good, He wants us to be Phenomenal. Otherwise, if we just cruise along, we, next thing you know, we find we're in somebody else's living room that we're not even supposed to be in. Or we're wandering around some place that we should never have been or we're going the wrong direction. Or we've made the wrong choice and we're a little bit embarrassed because we got suckered into somebody selling us something that really wasn't what they said it was. He wants us to have purpose and a direction. And he doesn't, he, and he doesn't want us to not know I mean, John says in his letter, in one of his epistles in, in 1 John, he says this, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know, you may know that you have eternal life. Not going, well, yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah, I, I don't know. I'm kind of up and today I'm kind of 50-50 on it. No, he wants us to know that we have eternal life. He wants, and we've talked about this previously, he wants us to to experience all of who he is, not just to have the head knowledge, but to experience the reality of the living God, the life-changing power of God in our lives, so that we can say with the Ephesian church, yes, we are different than than what we once were. He wants us to know that our home is guaranteed in heaven. That in some ways, we're already there. That it, it doesn't, it, there's, there's nothing else we have to do. There's not, no other circumstances. We don't need to live a certain way. If, if one of us were to have a heart attack or die of a car accident or whatever it might be, that we would enter rightly into the presence of God. Nothing else needs to be done. It's all guaranteed. That's the reality of living, of what Paul's talking about here. You once were this way, I have changed you. You have surrendered yourself to me. I have done all the work. There's nothing else you can do. And now you're living in the present reality of life that I've given to you. That we really are free. Really free. Free in ways that we don't even sometimes even understand. So I've I got three questions I want to kind of close with. Do or have you ever seen yourself as truly broken person in need of saving? It's an interesting question because I think sometimes we, like, like I did, I kind of grew up and I went, you know, I'm not that bad. You know, maybe just a little kind of a nudge in the right direction is probably all I really need, God, because I'm, I'm pretty good. You know, I, I, I'm not that bad. I'm basically good. But listen to what Isaiah says in Isaiah 64. Verse 6. He says, all, he says this. All of us, all. That's including Isaiah. All of us have become like one who is unclean. All our righteous acts are like filthy rags. And we all shrivel up like a leaf. And like the wind our sins sweep us away. Do we really see... That we're broken. That we that we need. That we're, that even the best parts of our life are not are just are like a dirty rag, something you would you'd throw into the garbage. You know, and so a lot of people would dispute that, and they're going, "Well, you know, I'm, I'm 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 pretty good. I'm I'm mostly I'm mostly good. You know, most of the time. Yet God says our best, our righteousness is not. It's not even passable. It's the worst." And when were you were without Jesus, did you see your heart as one of stone? One that was hard, not pliable, not shaped the way you longed for it to be. But that's what it is. And we need to get to that place where we literally say, we understand, we see ourselves as truly in need of saving. Even if we are grew up kind of good, with good moral ethics. Do we see that? Second question. Do you see yourself as having been changed for good? That God has changed you? That you are seated with Christ, not as a result of your own efforts, your own goods, your own handiwork, your own, but as a result of God living in you, around you, that His spirit is in you every day helping you to make the right choices. Has your heart been changed? Has it become larger and softer and, and a heart of flesh and not one of stone? For me, one of the, one of the great ways I saw God begin to change me is where before I, there were certain things I used to do, but then it was like God gave me an option. Before I just would do them, I would just make a choice, like something would happen and I would make a choice and I would just go down this, make a choice and go, get angry or make a choice and be selfish or you know, be stubborn or whatever. But it was almost like God said, "Wait a second, I'm, I'm going to change things up for you." And now all of a sudden, it was like the Matrix. You guys all know the movie, The Matrix, classic movie? You know, Neo, the bullet's coming towards him. He kind of looks at it, kind of bends away from it like this, you know, kind of looks around it. It's almost like God puts everything in slow motion for me. And now it's like I have the choice to decide whether I will be obedient or not be obedient, whether, whether I will choose to follow him whether I would, or choose to be sinful, whether I would choose to be selfish or angry or stubborn or bitter or whether or not I can go, no, I'm just going to get rid of that and just throw it away. That's what God did in my life. That was, that was the way, one of the ways, that's the easiest way of describing how one of the senses of how God has changed me. It may be different for you. It probably is different for you. Because God deals with us each so differently. The third question. How has God created you? How How has the good God created you for, how is that working itself in and through you? If God really made us for good, how is that working its way out in our lives on other people? Josh even talked about that. We weren't just created for ourselves. We're created for each other. We even talked about that here with Johnson and Lilia. We talked about how that it's, it's not just them raising Zoe. It's all of us coming alongside of them because they need help at times. They need our prayers. They need our encouragement because if you have kids, you know how tough and challenging it can be at times. If you're married, you know what, how tough it is having a spouse. If you're single... You know how tough it is to be alone. And so we need to pray for each other in that way. And how has, you know, how has the good that God created us in us, how is that working out in, not in our lives, but in the lives of the people around us? How are we impacting those people? How are we impacting our spouse or our children or our friends or our life group or even our neighbors or the people we work with? because that's part of what God wants to do in us. That's the good that God puts in us, is that it can work its way out into our community. At the beginning, I talked about the flawed starting point, where we, had to, we, we have to start from the right perspective. And that, that's incredibly important, because if we don't start there, we don't understand the transformation that God's brought within us. The blind spots we've had, of, w- of how bad we are and how much God has changed us or how much we're anticipating God changing us, then, then we're going to end up in, a, in, a, in the wrong place. That was evident in the story of my truck purchase. I assumed that my neighbor was honest. Flawed, very flawed, I found out. Even when I went back talked to him, he, no. Nope. Or even getting lost in Basel, Switzerland or walking into the wrong house we assumed that the phone book was accurate even though it was a year old or maybe two or three years old who knows and so we have to start off on the right footing and if we don't then where we end up is far different than where we want to be the enemy of our soul wants us to be lost to be confused to put into the to, to buy into the wrong things to buy the lies that he puts us forward to us and we need to seek God to help us to start out right so that we can live our lives out of a current reality that is based on truth and not lies that it's based on God and what God has done in us and is doing in us and not what we think we can accomplish God and I want you to listen to this God did not change us for us That's a great side benefit. We get the side benefit of that. But God changed us, as he says here in Ephesians, so that other people may see the change in in our lives and, and and give God the glory for it. And that they too may be drawn into the very presence of God. That they may see the hope that we have, the powerful change that God has brought about in our life. And be encouraged in going, that is what I want. I want what these people have. Our world is a skeptical world, right? We live in a pretty skeptical world. You know, if it's too good to be true, it's not. And guess what? The gospel is too good, is almost too good to be true. But guess what? It's not. It is true. And the only way that people will believe it is if they see it in more than just your life. If they see it in 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, they're going, wow. Like, you guys are all so different, yet you all are the same. You care. You love. You're you're at peace. So let me encourage you in that, that that's why God designed it that way, is because God knows we live in a skeptical world, and the only way we're going to overcome skepticism is if we live out of the goodness that Jesus creates in us and not out of the goodness that only we are that we create ourselves because that's going to be different for everybody but the goodness that Jesus puts in us is the same and then all of us would be love would be more loving and would be kinder and more generous because Jesus is in us And it's a time to begin looking beyond ourselves to see the larger purpose, the more fulfilling purpose to which Jesus has called us to. That he has done significant changes and now it's up to us to live out of those changes so that he can be glorified and that others can give, be, see the hope that we have and be encouraged to follow as well. Let's pray together. Lord, we sang that song good, good Father, and you are a, an amazing Father to us, far beyond what we deserve, because you've given us so many good gifts, so many, so many blessings in our hearts and our lives that we sometimes kind of take for granted, and because we've kind of, maybe some, like me, have kind of grown up in the church, and you just kind of going, well, you know, I wasn't really that bad, and I don't know how much God has changed me, but God, you really have saved us from from a life of destruction and a life of of brokenness and a life of pain and suffering far beyond anything we could ever have imagined. God, thank you. Thank you for that. And maybe there there are those here who have had a pretty broken life, pretty messed up life. And God, you want to save them from that as well. And you have saved them from that, God, so may, may they rejoice in your grace, even as we rejoice in what you've saved us from getting ourselves into, had you not been a part of our lives. And Lord, we, we sang just before the message, we sang that song, be glorified, be magnified in us. And that's not just us as in me, or in us as individuals, but in us as a corporate body. God, be magnified in us as we, as we gather around and encourage each other and, 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 and support each other and connect with each other and be transparent with each other and, and allow you to be glorified in us as people see the goodness of God in us. And even though we are so different in so many different ways, there is a, there is a thread of common ground of the very character of Jesus that resonates through every person that follows you. God, make that a lighthouse. Make that a a beacon, a ray of hope to the people around us. That as they get to see individuals, more than just one or two of us, our little candles don't burn very bright sometimes, but God, when you get all of us together, the brightness of all of us together is phenomenal. And so God, lead us into that. Be magnified in our lives. Allow us to start from the right perspective and to live our lives out of that perspective that you may be exalted, Jesus. Amen.